I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Caroline Winter in Adelaide, Australia. Welcome to Dog Edition, the first show designed for you to listen to while you walk your dogs. Coming up, Legotto Romagnolo. No, it's not an exotic Italian pasta, though it is Italian and it has everything to do with food. Follow us underground in search of a very tasty treasure. We'll also meet a podcaster who's obsessed with improving your dog's health, well-being and nutrition. And here's a question to ponder. Should you mix politics and pooches? So if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup and let's take a walk. We've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey, Pepper, want to go for a walk? So I want to take us back to our very first episode of Dog Edition back in January of 2021. Oh, I remember it well. Dogs returned to the White House, right? That is the one. Joe Biden was just being inaugurated and we took a deep dive into presidential pups, past and present, and whether dogs could tip the favor of voters. So much of the selling of a president, the making of a president, is words and pictures. It's imagery. That's Rob Schwartz. He's the CEO of the ad agency TBWA Chiat Day New York. We spoke to him back then about the Dog Lovers for Joe campaign that he was responsible for, which ran all over social media during the elections. That was such a clever tactic. Rob Schwartz and the Dog Lovers for Joe campaign and Biden's team knew that it was going to win hearts with the Democrats, but Mm -hmm. they were extra clever in their targeting and hit the swing states, right? Of course, they were hoping that German Shepherds champ (laughs) and major might help get Joe Biden over the line. When you look at the high penetration of dog ownership, I think it's close to 70% in America. When you start to look at the red states that have the highest dog ownership, Alabama, Alaska, Wyoming, West Virginia, Idaho, I mean, Arkansas, I mean, these are like heartland red Republican states with high dog ownership. And our thinking was, could we be united by fur? Could you set aside your political uh, leanings and, and, and passions and remind yourself of, wait a minute, I am also a dog person. My best friend, my dog, maybe does need a dog person in the White House. Now, of course, it is hard to know how much of an impact that the dog vote actually had. I mean, it seems to have worked, right? I mean, the Dog Lovers for Joe campaign could have been a contributing factor to Biden's win. Exactly. And Jennifer Howie from Purdue University in Indiana has wondered the very same thing. So Mm. she's teamed up with Miami University researchers in Ohio to find out just how important dogs are in getting elected. It's a fascinating topic because it's not just Joe Biden's pooches or sadly pooch at this point, now that Champ is gone, that have influential power A recent post by the Democrat, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren, about a very soggy golden retriever named Bailey got nearly 40,000 likes on Instagram. And it's growing. such a cute photo. Amazing. (laughs) And Republican Governor Eric Holcomb and Mike DeWine's dogs, Henry and Dolly, they both have their own Twitter accounts, political dogs. Jim, that's quite a few political doggos on the bandwagon. I've got to (laughs) say, though, 
Here in Australia, the Prime Minister Scott Morrison's cute schnoodle buddy pops up from time to time in the media, but really nothing like what happens in the US or in Ireland, Mm. as it would seem. Now, we're both fans of Irish President Michael D. Higgins, not for Irish politics, although I'm sure it's fascinating, but for his Bernese mountain dogs, Brut, and his new puppy, Mishnach. Mishnach. Oh, my God, Mishnach. How about that show-stealing appearance from him earlier this year? The president was trying to pay tribute to the late Irish actor Tom Hickey during a TV interview, and Mishnach was doing everything to try to get his owner's attention the whole time. (laughs) Of course, we know who won the day. They always win the day, right? <laughs> they do. So here we have the Irish president or the US president or even in some cases the Australian prime minister <laughs> all winning fans in favour because they have dogs. Okay, let's get back to the research. So the idea of political branding and marketing, that's not new. But this is all about understanding how dogs are used in branding. And if you're a politician, how posting about your personal life helps break down the barriers between you and us, the voters. It totally makes sense. We're learning stuff about the politicians and the dogs, and it just just totally makes sense. But how are they doing this academic study? Well, it's pretty simple at this stage. So researchers are looking at voters' recall and reaction when they see dogs of politicians online. We know how they might react when they see politicians online, but (laughs) add the dogs into the mix. So far, they've got around 1,500 people involved, which is pretty good because they were expecting to get 500. So they've tripled, um, yeah, the number of people already. They're all across different social media platforms, and I guess that's about capturing all kinds of ages and, and backgrounds. And they've launched a survey asking people to name a politician who posts with their dog and how it impacts their perception. Hmm. So basically they want to know if people care about this at all. So are people paying attention when these posts of their pups and their dogs are growing up? Is it likable or is it annoying? Mm, It's an interesting one. Well, they're also asking if voters would associate a dog's characteristics with the politicians if they'd posted together frequently. Huh. That could be interpreted as to whether the owner looks like the dog, right? (laughs) Why not? We all do that with dogs, right, when we're walking along the street. Right. I mean, he has the same hair or he's so schlumpy like his dog or the dog is schlumpy like the politician or (laughs) brave or bold or, my gosh, we can come up with all sorts of things. I wonder what it would say about me being a politician is knowing that I had Maltese. You definitely look like a Maltese. (laughs) It's It's the cute nose. It's definitely the cute nose. There are mornings when I wake up and I look a lot like Harvey, my grudel, with his caramel <laughs> coloured, like messy, curly hair. Yeah. No one needs to see that, though. I'd vote for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I guess, look, what they want to know really is if a politician has a dog on their socials, does it make them more empathetic or warmer or more of a people person? Mm-hmm. Now, I only learned this just um, recently, but it's about whether this whole idea can create stronger, you ready for it, parasocial relationships between voters and politicians. Ooh, I love social science. Mm-hmm. Parasocial relationships. We're getting okay. deep. What's a parasocial relationship? So that's a one-sided relationship, basically. That may not just be in this context when you think about it, but where I get to know a lot about the other person, in this case a politician, but they know nothing about me. Hmm. 
And then you add in the part where you feel connected to the person, even though you really don't know what it is they're all about, but you see their pictures and their dogs and all that stuff. So I feel like I'm closer to the politician because he's a dog lover, but I don't really know his opinions on like the, the political things that really matter. So is there a perception that I'll feel closer to him? That is exactly the crux of it. So if you feel closer to him, that perception that you feel closer to him, more connected, Hmm. and you think he's more personable because of the interactions that you're having or you see with Major and Champ in the case of Joe Biden, Mm -hmm. that's what researchers want to know. Will all of that play into how you vote at election time? Well, I want to know what the research is. And as we say so often here on Dog Edition, when the research comes out, we will share it with you. When is that expected? Is that going to make an impact in the upcoming elections in the US? Mm, We've got a while to wait. It's not till 2022. So, oh, yeah. Are they going to wait until after the elections and talk about it afterwards so that the people who are strategizing this can't use this data? Oh, that'd be politically incorrect, wouldn't it? (laughs) I don't know. Or politically savvy. I don't know. We'll have to stay tuned and find out what impact dogs will have on the upcoming midterms here and on elections around the world. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dog Edition. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpuff. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it, Everpuff. Traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day, because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpup. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. Somewhere, let's say, north of San Francisco, California, but not quite all the way up to the Oregon border, the Alexander Valley Truffle Company is working to make truffles as ubiquitous in the region as the well-known wine grapes. Once gracing the tables of royalty across Europe centuries ago, this highly sought-after delicacy is shrouded in mystery. The location of the Alexander Valley Truffle Company is a closely guarded secret. That's why I'm not saying anything other than it's somewhere between San Francisco and Oregon. They're cultivating this finicky fungus in the orchards and are patiently awaiting these fairy apples, as they're also called, to grow underground. And when the time comes, they'll be ready. Because the best way to find a truffle is to employ... A legato Romanaolo 
truffle hunting dog. And they have five of those dogs. Dog Edition's Pamela Lawrence got to meet them. I drove north to meet Fran Angerer, the patriarch of this family-run company. He and one of his sons, Seth, agreed to take me on a mock truffle hunt to see their dogs at work. Hi! How are you? Good. Oh my gosh, I'm such a city girl, I can sit and look at your chickens all day. Oh yeah. On this farm, they're hoping to grow the Tuber Melanosporum, or black truffle. In France, this is known as the black paragord. It's prized by chefs. There are over 1,500 trees here inoculated with the spores of the black truffle. In the wild, the truffle is part of the root system. It's a symbiotic relationship between the host tree and the fungus. Seth Angerer. So when you're cultivating them, you buy inoculated trees. So the trees are raised in a laboratory in a, in a slurry of inoculum, which is the uh, spores. And once they take hold and they can prove that that tree is now inoculated, then you take the tree... You plant it, and then you cross your fingers. Fran Angerer. The creation of the fruiting body is still a mystery. Nobody knows what causes a fruiting body to form. Um, this orchard here is will be nine years old this year. No truffles. The same trees from the same source one year before, and they've been producing now for three years. It's still a mystery. Since these mysterious truffles haven't made an appearance in this orchard yet, Fran planted truffle targets before I got there so I could see how the dogs find them. I was pretty excited about meeting the dogs. My dog, Tuber, was our first Legoto. Um, We got her in 2014 as a puppy. She was 12 weeks old. She's got a, uh, she's a purebred Legoto. Oh my gosh, hello. That's Tuber. She's the mama. While truffles are a family affair for the Angerers, they're also a family affair for these Lagoda Romagnolos. And the matriarch, Tuber Gianna, was born to hunt truffles. And at 16 weeks, we took her into the forest up in Oregon, and she found 30 truffles her first time, her first day. The Lagoda seems to have a, a nose for truffles, and that's what they're known for. Is uh, They're known as the truffle dogs. Her pups, Vito and Bella, joined us on the hunt. Luke stayed up at the house being more of a family dog. They're all successful at finding truffles, though. I also got to meet Seth's dog, Leo, a hardworking and focused Lagoto who came from a championship bloodline. Leo, he either loves you or hates you. Okay. So you'll know, and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure he keeps his distance. And the other thing is, when he's working, if I'm down on my hands, you know, if I'm doing this on the ground, yeah. and he's kind of behind me, yeah. and somebody approaches, he might be protective so safety overview completed it was time to hunt come on girls are we gonna go to work where's the truffle come on where's the truffle these dogs may work hard but they are cute as can be they have short woolly curls a lavish beard pensive looking eyebrows and whiskers where's the truffle okay what 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 when tuber finds a truffle she gently paws the ground to show where it is hey sit good girl good girl I know, Tuber, it's there, huh? She says, I know it's there, Dad. Where's my treat? Fran pulls a giant bag of dog biscuits from a pocket and gives Tuber her reward for a job well done. Now it's Leo's turn. Leo, where is it? Check. Leo, check. Leo, Leo, check. When Seth tells Leo to check a spot, he watches carefully for Leo's subtle signal. 
a shift of the head, a paw tap on the ground. Any display of interest may mean Leo detects a truffle underground. You'll be walking and all of a sudden you'll notice a behavior change. Basically, their head goes from, it just gets focused. If they, their head will move and they'll start looking at a certain area. You might dig down. A, tr a truffle that's been growing there is basically part of the soil. You can't see it, you know, because it's covered in mud. Mm. So you'll be digging around and then if you can't find it, you'll ask the dog and the dog will kind of pinpoint it. So they'll go back in the hole and they'll show you again where show it might be. Show me. And it could be, I've dug down before and made a hole 10 inches wide, can't find it, can't find it, and I'm an inch off, you know? It's like, oh no, it's over here, sorry. Oh <laughs> All right, Leo, where is it? These four dogs were on leashes, right and I wondered if that's how they always hunted or if it was because I was in their workspace. Most hunters hunt on a leash. Uh, I like hunting here, I can let these two off leash, and they, I've got them trained, that's how I trained Tuber, was off leash, and she's pretty good, she'll range 25, 30 yards around me, Wow! because you want to be able to keep an eye on them so you can see when they Find mark. Yeah. yeah. Legoti, plural for Legoto, date back to at least Renaissance Italy. They were bred as waterfowl retrievers. Lago is Italian for lake. Fiala. You thirsty? But when the marshlands of Romagna in northeastern Italy were drained and turned into arable land, the Lagoto evolved from being a water dog to being a truffle hunter. They are the only dog specifically bred for this purpose. Where is it? A dog will mark the spot, and the handler will use a blade to carefully dig four to six inches underground smell the dirt because a ripe truffle will have a distinct odor, and then sift through the dirt to find the truffle, which may be as small as a pea or as big as a one-pound ball. And if there's a good ripe truffle there... There's a good girl. Finding such a large truffle is rare, but when you do, the reward is great. The current per pound market price in the U.S. for fresh commercial quality tuber melanosporum is between $600 and $900. It's the reason the locations of truffle farms and wild truffle hunting plots are kept so secret. At, in Spain and Italy and places that produce, they have people cut their fences and bring trained dogs in overnight and they'll harvest, they'll harvest as much as they can. So that was partially about... The mention of security was, you know, it's like you don't want to broadcast the location of a hot spot because people will, you know, unfortunately yeah. take advantage of it. Yeah. Leo spotted a jackrabbit racing across the orchard. It was enough of a distraction that we decided to call it a day for the dogs. Fran and Seth invited me up to their barn to tell me more about the fascinating history of truffle hunting and why truffle hunters prefer to use the Lagoto Romagnolo dogs instead of pigs, which had been used at one time. Try loading a 300-pound pig into your pickup truck. The yeah. other thing is pigs will bite your finger off in competition of the truffle. So, yeah, dogs you can train. Dogs are they, yeah. they're domestic. They love humans. They work with you. They want to please you. Whereas a pig is a pig. And pigs are great. I'm not talking down on pigs. It was the truffle spots in the for wild forests in Europe were tightly kept secret. Yeah. And they would hunt for the truffles at night. The truffle hunters would. And in the family, the father wouldn't even 
pass down the information of where their spot was until he was ready to die. Then he would pass it on to his sons and say, this is where we get the truffles. And they would hunt them at night because they knew people would follow them because they knew they were truffle hunters. And it was especially hard when you were walking your pig down the road because they know exactly what you're going. (laughs) A pig on a leash and an old guy, that's a truffle hunter. Now, in Northern California, you're unlikely to see a truffle hunter walking a pig down the street. Truffles are a nascent industry here. This area is more well-known for its vineyards and award-winning wine production. But wine wasn't what Fran had in mind when he bought this property. The land was perfect, so so they say. And so we bought this place. It was all grapes. We tore all the grapes out and planted these trees. Wow, that's a bold move around here, pulling grapes (laughs) A very bold move, and one that may take years to yield any results. The humans may have that kind of patience, but the dogs? They are a working breed, and working breeds are a different breed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they're... They need... They need a job. So the Alexander Valley Truffle Company came up with a solution. We contract the dogs out to other producing, and there aren't that many. (laughs) There's a lot of potential for truffles to hit big in this foodie region once the area starts producing. Every truffle you consume in the United States, for the most part, is imported. So it's harvested, cleaned, grated, packaged, all that, and that all takes time. Then it's shipped. And it has to go through customs. And then it's like, by the time you get it, it might already be done, you know? Like, I think the value of the local truffles will be even greater than imported truffles because they're fresh. They're the most fresh. You can get them day of. And that day, I did get some truffles, along with a bounty of fresh eggs. All right, you want to grab a uh, bowl and we'll scramble these up? Fran recommended I put some of the eggs in a sealed container along with a truffle for some subtly flavored truffled eggs. And oh my God, let me tell you, I hope truffles proliferate in the region. What do you have to deal with with truffles? You've got to deal with walking in the woods with dogs, eating very good meals, and drinking wine. Oh, cheese too. There's a lot of truffles on cheese. What's wrong with that, you know? That's a good life right there. That's a heck of a good life. Mm. You can definitely taste the truffle. (laughs) Mm. That's good. That was Pam Lawrence there putting her taste buds on the line. You're listening to Dog Edition and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Well, it's our mission here at Dog Edition to find new and entertaining dog-loving podcasters and YouTubers and we've uncovered another great guest. And in this episode, we're sharing a snippet of Jim's recent live stream conversation on Dog Lovers Live with Krista Karpowicz. Krista hosts the podcast Wag Out Loud, and she describes that as the ultimate resource for dog lovers on a quest to provide the best care for their dogs. Here is a snippet of my chat with her, and there's no doubt that Krista is obsessed with bringing her listeners all kinds of tips on canine health care, nutrition, and overall well-being. The show turned two years old this past May. Happy birthday. Thank you. And episode number 120 just went out this week. So wow. what was the genesis? What what made you decide to to launch the show? I think it started with my previous dog, Higgins. So we're talking probably 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. He was having seizures. And 
three different vets could not diagnose why he was getting seizures. And at the mm-hmm. same time, we were getting another dog, an adult dog, and the breeder would not sell her to us unless we promised to feed raw. Well, I'd never fed raw before, but it would be easier to feed them both the same thing, of course. So right. Higgins got raw. What did you well, what did you think when the breeder said, you can eat, I'll sell you a dog, but you have to feed it raw? What was your first thought? I thought, yeah, you know, I'm open to that. I would love to mm-hmm. learn more. And Higgins never, ever got another seizure after switching to raw. Wow. And so when you told the vets, Higgins vet, that like, hey, this dog that's had seizures throughout his life, just stop. What did the veterinarian say? That's great. Whatever it takes. Even though, you know, that was a conventional vet and mm-hmm. most conventional vets are not on board with all the anecdotal stories that raw is better for dogs. So that I think that was the start of, hey, there's something to this nutrition. And then did your your mind got curious to learn more about it and you started pursuing it uh, as a study, right? Yeah, I just researched it on my own. You know, what is this raw thing and what are the different brands out there and should I make it myself? And fast forward now to my current dog, Winston, who has been fed raw his whole life. And I wanted to get certified in canine nutrition. So I did that. It took me a year. And James, I don't know, because I am the least technical person on the face of the planet. I just thought, oh, instead of doing one-to-one consulting, I'm just going to do a podcast. <laughs> so, Talk to me a little bit about how that has evolved over the years, as you say, you're two years in. It's so exciting, James, because when I started this, I felt everybody else's pain and The first thing that I want to share is I don't shame anybody because I was that person. I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I fed the processed dog food. I fed my dog out of a bowl, which right now I know is not good for them. That's convenient for us. Share. Instead of a bowl, you use a... That's a whole whole show. (laughs) So you've also expanded beyond just the podcast medium. You have entered the crazy and interesting world of Clubhouse. Yes. Tell me about that as someone who has only played with it a bit. James, as you know, podcasting is communicating one way. It's just myself and my guest chatting and sharing information. Clubhouse is a platform where I can bring back Mm. past guests on the topics that people loved And let's open it up for everybody to ask questions and comment. And that's why I really love Clubhouse, because we can get everybody talking. And you can watch Jim's full Dog Lovers live stream with Wag Out Loud's Krista Karpowicz as part of our limited summer series. You'll find that at dogloverslive.com. Well, that is all for today's episode. I want to thank you for bringing Dog Edition along with you on your walk today. Don't forget, you can hear Jim's extended conversations on DPN's sister show, The Long Leash, and chances are you'll know this week's guest. Yes, because she is the master of unruly pups and the star of It's Me or the Dog. Join me for a fascinating conversation with English author, TV presenter, as they say in Britain, and expert trainer, Victoria Stilwell. 
And on the next episode of Dog Edition, when your pooch shakes it all off, why dogs are the ultimate drying machines. I love it. You can listen to all of our shows on our website at dogedition.com. And there is a button at the bottom right of every episode page there so that you can easily leave us a voicemail and share your stories and thoughts with us. Who knows? We may work one of those into a future episode. Yeah, we might. And follow Dog Edition in whatever podcast app you use to listen. And please leave us a review. That'll help us bring you more great stories. I'm Caroline Winter, your resident newshound. And I'm James Jacobson. I want to thank you again for listening today. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.